Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 48. In terms of the zero tariff position, there would be tariffs applied to goods, so whether that's goods entering the European Union or goods entering the UK. So speak to your customers, speak to your suppliers, engage, because they may also be feeling uncertain as well, if, for example, they're in the European Union. I'm Dipesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. The coronavirus pandemic has quite rightly been the key focus for governments around the world in recent months. But that doesn't mean that the UK's exit from the European Union has taken a back seat. It seems like quite a while ago now, but as of the 1st of February this year, the UK brexited the EU and we're in a transition phase until the end of 2020. But when the clocks chime midnight at the new year, the way exporters and importers trade with the EU will change significantly. There are implications for customs and declarations. There'll be significant changes at ports. There'll be changes with regards to documentation and various other checks. The information provided, or rather the information that has been provided, is often quite overwhelming. So in this podcast, we're catching up with an expert in these areas, the Institute of Export and International Trades Director of Stakeholder Engagement, Kevin Shakespeare. So today, I'm delighted to be joined remotely by Kevin. Kevin, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Thank you, Dipesh, and it's a pleasure to be able to speak. Thank you. Let's start with a 30-second elevator pitch from you. Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? Good day, uh, everybody. So my name is Kevin Shakespeare. Role is Director of Stakeholder Engagement at the Institute of Export and International Trade. So certainly with regard to planning around post-transition period, this has become a sort of key area of focus for us and increasingly for businesses as well. So uh, it's something we're very, very heavily involved in. From my side, I've worked in international trade for a good number of years with businesses in agricultural, textile, manufacturing, e-commerce, lots of different types of businesses. But it's, again, a pleasure to be able to speak today. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. And I guess, you know, right now, we've never seen more change in, in international trade, I guess, than ever before, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, it is fair to say the, the level of change, the level of issues, opportunities, challenges, whichever way you want to look at it. Now is a really fascinating time for, for businesses, but certainly the most important for businesses is, is to cope with the here and now and to plan as much as possible. Sure. So as of the 1st of February 2020, following the withdrawal agreement, the UK is now no longer a member of the EU. We're in a transitionary period. So broadly speaking, what does this mean for the UK between now and the 31st of December 2020? It is to some extent business as usual in that um, trade with the European Union 
remains the same as it has done. And it's easy to say that, but equally, now is the time for businesses to prepare, to look at some of the issues which are going to arise from the 1st of January next year, and really preparing for some of those issues. So um, really, it's, it's about planning, preparing as much as you can. I know there's still some uncertainties, but there's some things that are definitely going to change that businesses can prepare for. So let's go into a bit more detail in that. So from the 1st of Jan 2021, the way we trade with the EU will change. What exactly does this mean for UK importers and exporters and what can they do right now to start preparing? The definite changes is the UK is leaving the customs union of the European Union. So customs declarations will be required for goods moving out of the UK and outbound declaration and importing into the UK. There'll also need to be a customs declaration. So the customs element, there's the changes in product conformity as well and compliance. The UK will be a third country in the same way, for example, as Canada is, the United Arab Emirates are. So there'll be be need to meet product conformity regulatory standards as well as the customs element as well. Now, clearly, if there is no trade deal and no zero tariff trade deal between the UK and the EU, then that could have a significant impact on businesses depending on tariffs, which again, I'm, I'm happy to speak about. And that is perhaps the main area of uncertainty at the moment as to whether there'll be a trade deal. But the other elements around regulatory product differences and the need to meet EU conformity standards will change because the UK will no longer be part of of the single market and the customs union. That's a definite. The tariffs is the area of uncertainty, but businesses still have to review that as well. Great. Thank you. Can you go into a bit more detail then? So let's say we don't have an agreement with the EU. What will be the situation on the 1st of January, assuming a default kind of position? In terms of the zero tariff position, there will be tariffs applied to goods, so whether that's goods entering the European Union or goods entering the UK. There is something around the border operating model that maybe provides the ability to defer payment of tariffs. And again, happy to speak further about that. But basically, and and products with the highest tariffs tend to be the products of animal origin, the the agricultural products and finished products as well. So uh, businesses really do need to consider the the level of tariff, whether you're, you're importing into the United Kingdom or you're exporting with the tariff being largely but not always payable by the European importer. So so that's a definite. On the customs declaration side, it's not just about the declaration per se. Yes, that's needed. It's everything that goes with the declaration. So making sure you have the correct classification code, commodity code, your value in the goods correctly for customs purposes, you have the correct origin around the goods. It's more than just a customs declaration, which is why businesses have to, if you like, understand the requirements, even if a freight forwarder is operating on your behalf. It's still your responsibility as a trader, as an exporter or an importer. That's really helpful. So let's talk more about customs procedures and documentation to start with. So completing customs declarations, whether it's yourself as a company or the freight forwarder on your behalf, that's all going to change. So I think the main form is called the SAD C88 form. What are the impacts on filling out this form? It's a really valid point. So uh, the C88 form, which, which is accessed online now, is a key form. And, and businesses need to understand the different 
elements to the form. There's more fields on the importing uh, form, on the import declaration, there is on exporting. But you have to get all the fields correct, both the valuation, the commodity codes, the consignee, the consignor. And one of the ways of looking at it, a lot of the documentation should be on your commercial invoice or possibly, and also possibly on the packing list, is to understand the form. There's still an example in a performer, and we can provide examples um, at the Institute uh, of Export and International Trade as well. But understand the requirements of the form and what is required and what the liabilities are around that. Because even if a freight forwarder makes a declaration on your behalf, you still need to provide them with a commercial invoice and possibly the packing list as well. So ultimately, it is you providing the information. And where can you get help from when it comes to actually compiling these rather complex import and export entries? Again, there's a couple of ways. You do get forwarders or customs agents, brokers who can possibly make the declaration on your behalf. Obviously, there'll be a charge for doing that. You can try and do it yourself, but any which way you need to understand as a business what these fields are, and I've referred to some of them on this podcast. There is also a grant scheme as well. So there's a HMRC grant scheme of £50 million. Further details were announced um, late last week. So you can get training, which is grant-funded. You can possibly get uh, grants for software and for recruitment to make the declarations as well. So clearly the grant scheme is around capacity building around the requirement to make declarations and to really help businesses understand the requirements going forward. Thanks, Kevin. And I guess given how quickly a lot of this information is changing, it is important for businesses to understand that there is lots of support there are grants and funding available to train up relevant employees to access this information, get trained up and be able to smoothly transition over. So talking about transition, we'll go on to a bit of a conversation about borders. So the post-transition border plan was published very recently, or the BOM, the Border Operating Model, per the title of this podcast. So to spare our readers the 206-page document, what are the key take-homes from the Border Operating Model and the, the, and the plan? Yeah, again, good question. And as you've indicated, there's a lot for businesses to take in. So some of the key takeaways is that the UK has control over its borders and it has introduced a three-stage plan around uh, what businesses can do when they're importing. So importers of standard goods can defer for up to six months to requirement for an import declaration. And by definition, when you're deferring, that also defers payment of the import tariff if there are tariffs. So standard goods will cover a lot. It won't uh, uh, controlled goods. So for example, excise goods, alcohol, military goods will not be subject to these procedures, nor will the likes of live animals, where declarations have to be made from the 1st of January. But for standard goods, you have that possibility to defer. And I guess the key determinant there will be if you can defer the payment of the import tariff for six months to help a business's cash flow, that would probably be one of the main reasons for you to do it. That really, in a nutshell, shell is the main aspects. There are specific requirements for certain sectors, products of animal origin, live animals, excise goods, which are detailed. And clearly, if your product falls within those categories, we're sort of happy at the Institute to provide further information. We have done a number of webinars on the border operating model. The EU has indicated it will not reciprocate. So all these controls happen from the 1st of January. 
whereas um, the UK has, is sort of opting for full controls to apply from the 1st of July. Let's talk about row, row and not the nursery rhyme. Roll on, roll off. And, and I think in Gove's words, uh, very recently, he wants to, quote unquote, lay the foundations for the world's most effective border by 2025. And obviously, efficiency is key. I think they mentioned the smart freight service that will really help with roll on, roll off. Can you explain what row, row is and why the smart freight service will be important for ports in the UK? The concept of row, row, clearly, and what everyone wants is efficiency in the border crossing, in entering vessels, for example, there. So the concept of roll on, roll off is effectively that the lorry just literally goes on to the vessel. So we think of that in terms of Dover to Calais, probably being one of the prime examples there, is you don't really want anything that's going to slow up the process. Currently, at the moment, we're part of a single market, a customs union, so there is no requirement for, for border controls. From the 1st of January, there will be a requirement. So the concepts of a likes of a smart freight service is to avoid a situation where lorries have to turn up at, at Dover and other ports, not just Dover, but other ports, and they're held whilst a safety and security check has to be made or, or certain reference numbers or documents have to be exchanged. So we want to do that. So the concept of smart freight is to try and automate processes so that either, either, either lorries, using the example, can uh, don't have to exchange the information at the border, it can be a slight inland site, but perhaps more than that is using technology and automation. If you've got automatic recognition, automatic references being issued, so the roll on row row process can continue to take place with the minimum or if any delay from having to provide documentation or searches, etc. What about sanitary and phytosanitary checks? Will there be changes to those rules? Yeah, so there will be again because the UK is the third country outside the European Union. So use an example for products of animal origin, there needs to be checks at border control posts. So what will happen there is that um, is that goods will need to be checked. Now, under the border operating model for the first six months, so from the 1st of January for live animals or high-risk plants, for example, or shellfish seafood, is that checks will be made at the point of destination. And for products of animal origin, the, the, the SPS, the sanitary, phytosanitary checks will commence from the 1st of April and again at point of destination. So the 1st of July, however, these checks will take place effectively through border control posts. So that could be at the border itself or for some ports it might be that don't necessarily have the space at the border. It might be at an inland facility relatively nearby. But yes, as the UK is a third country outside the European Union, there needs to be these checks both for, both for these types of products coming into the UK but also when the products come for, uh, go from the UK to the European Union. And I guess finally, the new UK global tariff. What's this? Yeah, so what the UK has done is is that currently it has to follow the tariffs set by the European Union, so the EU Common External Tariff, as it's referred to. Outside of the European Union, the UK, as a member of the WTO, can set its own tariffs, and it has done that through the UK Global Tariff. Now, these tariffs apply for all 164 members of the WTO, not just the European Union. So these were the tariffs that will apply from the 1st of January. Now, if there is a trade deal with any country, whether it's the European Union, if discussion 
discussions on the United States, for example, progress or other countries such as South Korea, then there are zero tariffs within the terms of a trade deal normally. But if there's no trade deal, tariffs apply. And this is what could happen, obviously, for goods coming from the European Union. What the UK has tried to do in its global tariff is what it's called simplify the tariff. So where do you have tariffs of, say, 16.8%, it's simplified to a more round figure like 15%, for example. It's also liberalised or reduced tariffs in some cases to zero. So goods which you like are part of raw materials or component intermediary goods in supply chains, in some cases like nuts and bolts, and those types of products needed for supply chain, they're zero. So that's due to try to help manufacturing ingredients, for example, bakery ingredients, to try and get it to zero to help UK providers of supply chain. But clearly not everything is zero. So there will be some products, particularly agricultural goods, finished goods, where tariffs will still apply under the UK's global tariff. Thank you. And I think for those businesses with fairly complex supply chains where things are assembled, disassembled, imported and exported in different markets and areas, it's actually really important to understand these to the nth degree in terms of the tariffs applied because especially on thin margin products, it really could affect your bottom line. So if I'm an an importer or an exporter, can you give me three or so pieces of advice in terms of preparing for trading with the European Union in January 2021 onwards? Probably I would go with communicate. So speak to your customers, speak to your suppliers, engage, because they may also be feeling uncertain as well, if, for example, they're in the European Union, but also UK customers and suppliers. Understand the end-to-end trade journey. So by communication and understanding of the trade journey, you can start to look at potential solutions, but also a problem shared is, you could argue, a problem halved, but talking about solutions and prepare. And again, you can use the customs grant scheme potentially as part of your planning process with uh, with certain organizations. So communicate, understand the end-to-end trade journey, who is in that, and obviously speak with your freight forwarder. So communicate, uh, understand the trade journey, and prepare. Understand your business. Look at what trading terms you're, you're trading under at the moment. So, for example, the INCO terms, the international commercial terms. What customs, sorry, what commodity classification codes are you, are you using? Who is responsible for the customs declaration to transport? And these are all things that need to be considered and then, as appropriate, discuss with customers and suppliers. Thank you very much, Kevin, and really clear conclusion there. So I think it's important that businesses take home that communication piece with their stakeholders, understanding their end-to-end supply chains and trade journeys, also see what's available in terms of grants and funding to help smooth over that transition that is available from the UK government and also prepare for the 1st of January. Kevin, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Trade Finance Talks today. Really looking forward to hearing from you soon. Institute of Export and International Trade are are one of TFG's proud partners. Please visit the IOE and IT website for more information, training, webinars, guides, etc., which go into a lot more detail on what's happening in terms of leaving the European Union over the next few months. Kevin, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com. 